Pod. Pod. here with Alex Kungu on a Sunday afternoon. It's almost it's almost time for the season, Alex. I can smell training camp. I was Googling when media day is going to be, and obviously we don't have a date yet, but it's usually around that September 26th to September 28th range. So here on September 15th, we are just about two weeks out from the Celtics getting together and actually doing this thing. And they brought in a number of guys from the bottom of the roster, to fight with Taco Fall for that last spot. Javante Green's down there. And I, I think they brought in two more, right? The names are eluding me, but they do have two more guys in from camp. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of names eluding us as we get back into camp. But I, I couldn't remember Ken Birch as I was talking about the center conversation with Coach Nick there. It ended up getting mixed up with Vucevic. But that was your guy, wasn't it? Back when they were searching for centers, you were really pushing hard for Ken Birch. Yeah, I liked them, but we'll see. We'll see how Cantor plays out. I still would have probably have gone more for a defensive big with that um, vacancy that Al Horford left. All right, and he's back in Orlando. And Sports Illustrated dropped the top 100 players in the league. I did not see Kem Birch in here. <laughs> <laughs> they started off with Andrew Wiggins. And right off the bat, we're going to have a conversation about this list. Have you, have you gone through it extensively? Extensively is not the word I would use, but I have gone through it. I kind of I know where all the Celtics are. All right, how, that's how I go about it. So I opened it right up, and Andrew Wiggins is a hundred, of course. You know the story. One of the top fifty scorers in the league, but he's the least efficient of all of them. Was supposed to change the league, being that number one guy out of Kansas, changed the Timberwolves, their fortunes completely in tandem with Anthony Towns. He got them back to the playoffs for the first time in forever, but he just hasn't earned the contract that he was given. They project him to be better than he was, and it brought me back to that draft where him and Jabari Parker were just supposed to be this overwhelming talent package at the top of this draft, and it reminded me that those sure things aren't always sure things. I mean, Parker is not in here. He's on the Atlanta Hawks still trying to rejuvenate his career, but he's hanging on by a thread in the league, it feels like. And Wiggins, it's like, when, when are the Timberwolves going to get him off the team? Because they can't do it fast enough. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these young guys, that's always the thing when you draft these young prospects. As much tape as we watch, as much you know, shots we can see, and as much things we can hear about their attitudes, it's still, you're still ultimately gambling on a kid. And you're gambling on how they react to the NBA game. So... Yeah, definitely. Andrew Wiggins, Barry Parker, that whole era kind of shows that these things aren't promised no matter how good it looks. Bam Adebayo was 93. Looking back on it now that the U.S. fizzled out, and we're going to get into that with Coach Nick in just a little bit, I'm stunned he didn't make the team looking back on it because he looked really good in that uh, entry process through the scrimmages and all of that. That might have been the biggest mistake. We talked a lot about Fox. We talked a lot about Young, but Bam not making the team, might have swung their fortunes a little bit. I don't know if they win it, but they probably get a little deeper with him, don't you think? Yeah, and I mean, there's there's some talk that maybe they had they were premature with cutting some of these bigs because they had anticipated Marvin Bagley actually joining the team. If you remember, um, actually, after that scrimmage game, they had promoted Marvin Bagley to the actual national team, and I think the thought was that they were going to bring him up as one of the bigs, but 
you know, another miss, but it is what it is. I, I, but I do think Bam would have been a good addition to that Team USA squad. Fox and Bagley and those guys dropping out as late as they did, do you think that was them actually dropping out, or do you think they just didn't have the role that they wanted to there, or even that they were just kind of told behind scenes that, you know, you're not going to be as involved in this. You might not even make the team, so here's your chance to just say that you're not playing. (laughs) That's at least how I felt with Fox because of the whole Derek White thing. Yeah, I do think that was the case of Fox. Where Bagley, though, I think that was just a matter of, he had came there as a, as a select team member. Um, he probably had already planned to just be there for that week. And then the last second kind of being promoted, maybe that just didn't fit, with it, fit in with his schedule. But it did seem like Aaron Fox was, I think he saw the writing of, on the wall a little bit with Derek White. And he didn't necessarily think that, you know, he should be competing for minutes at, at that role. So. It's, too, it's too bad. I mean, these are the guys that are going to be working with the program going forward, and you want a guy like De'Aaron Fox in there. White's great. I, I don't blame Pop for developing him and using that as an opportunity to give him a little more seasoning in the summer. It just wasn't great for Team USA, and it is what it is there. So Zach Levine was thrown toward about the 90 range in this, which I don't mind, but the guys above him just drove me crazy. You had... Danny Green, who barely scored in some of the games on the way of the Raptors' final run. Valanchunas, Jeff Teague, Ingram, Al Farouk Aminu, even Marcus Smart, as much as I love Marcus Smart. All these guys getting ranked above Levine, who was one of the best scorers in the league last year. One of the bigger problems I had with this list. Uh, I mean, for me, I think Zach Levine's suffers from the fact that he plays for the Chicago Bulls, which are not a great basketball team. So a lot of his offensive talent and his production does kind of fit into that little bad team, good stats type of guy. And also he, he, he hasn't, he's a, he tries on defense, but he's never really like become that type of like, even like above average team defender that you would like to see with like his length and athleticism. So I think that's also holding him back. The fact that he's not a complete player and then also that he's kind of playing for a bad team and putting up stats on a bad team. And truthfully, you've only seen him on bad teams. So I think this year with kind of the way the Eastern Conference is shaking out, the way the Bulls kind of, you know, they brought in Dad Young, they have Otto Porter. Um, they did show a little bit more fight in that second half. If they can kind of make a little bit of noise, I think you'll see Zach Levine start to get his due a little more. 82 sound about right for Smart. I don't have any problems with that one. I do. I, I, I don't have a problem with the ranking, per se, but I do have a problem with calling him a defensive specialist because I feel like that completely undermines the fact that he was one of Boston's more above-average playmakers. He also started to shoot the three above-average last year. So I think when you kind of put him in that box of defensive specialist and then put a guy like Patrick Beverly a spot ahead of him, it just kind of feels like they were just grouping people of what they thought the role was. And I think that's a little bit undervaluing and underselling what Marcus Smart can provide to a basketball team. It, it is a tough list to make, especially when you're comparing someone like Jaron Jackson and Smart head-to-head. That's just Absolutely. the stage of their careers, the positions they play, all that. Uh, you know, Jackson probably lost the spot because he shot from his butt during his first year in the league. So that, <laughs> that lowers you down a spot. I, that was all. I'm going to ask him about that one day if I ever interview him, why, why he decided to take a shot from his butt. Me and Coach Nick got into it a little bit in the interview today about Smart and whether 
he is actually much of a capable offensive player, and I lean with you on this one. He drives to the rim. He's not a great finisher there, but he makes things happen from that position. So sort of like Rondo used to do. Obviously not to that degree, but he's developed to the point where he can get in the lane and find people and be your secondary facilitator. And I think he's done a great job with that over the last few years. He doesn't turn it over a ton, and he can play on and off the ball a little bit. We'll see if the three-point shot sticks to where it was i get why people don't think he has an offensive game because there's just nothing consistent that he leans on to score which is a problem of course he's not a zero on that end like if we're comparing him to an andre roberson who is not on this list that's the big difference and that's why smart's on this list and he's not we have that we just said all that about marcus smart but then pj tucker is 74th (laughs) <laughs> and what is and what exactly does PJ Tucker bring? Like he shoots threes and he plays defense, and that, that Marcus Smart can do both of those things on top of the playmaking. So it's obviously a hard list to make. You're you're grading hundreds of players, and you're trying to put it in. And there's you know there's going to be some subjective assessments here and there. But that but that was maybe like maybe the only thing I took real exception to. Jalen Brown slotted in at 68 ahead of Karis Levert. I that's interesting. That really shows you that. They were looping in similar guys because those two guys are almost at the exact same juncture in their career with the Nets and Celtics. And they've had these great moments, sensational games. And now we're wondering which one of them is actually going to put together a solid, solid season. And both of them are heading into their contract years. LeVert got the extension, right? Um, Brown has not gotten that. So very interesting comparison there. They gave Brown the edge over LeVert slightly, which... I actually don't agree with. I, I liked where Smart was. I think I'd rather have Levert right now than Brown with the creation ability that Levert has flashed. Much tighter dribble, much better ability to be a secondary playmaker with four assists a game last year. I'm still not sure if we're ever going to see that from Brown. I love Brown, but that's just such a glaring weakness in his game that I think is going to persist. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I actually thought Paris Levert would be ranked higher because he does have that playmaking ability. Um, in Brown's defense, though, I will say that he does get a little undervalued in terms of what he can bring as a defender. Um, there's just really not a lot of wings his size that can defend the likes of Kevin Love in the post and then chase around shooters like Marco Bellinelli and J.J. Redick. And I think when you kind of add in that defensive versatility, he has the ability to hit some to hit the three-point shot, attack closeouts with the lead athleticism. I think um, he does... What his role does and with his size and his versatility, I do think that's actually where his value comes from more than maybe just like having like a specific individual skill that's above average. Gordon Hayward got lucky on this list, ending up over Trey Young, Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Gordon at 59. He's in the same range as Clay Thompson on this list, which just feels criminal because what? They downgrade Thompson for his injury, but they gave Hayward some leeway for his. I don't really understand that because Thompson healthy is absolutely a top 15, 20 player in this league. And he ends up at 58 in this one, which I hope he gets back to what he was before, but there's not a better lights out fireball scorer during the streaks where he's at his best and Clay Thompson in this league. Yeah, and then I think that's also where where, you know, like there the list is kind of competing with a lot of different ideologies. Because yeah. obviously if if you're if you're grading Gordon Hayward from how he performed last year, there's there's a there's actually a conversation maybe he shouldn't even be on this top one hundred list, if yeah. we're being completely honest. 
So I guess that there there is a little bit of projecting up in terms of what he could do. But then if you do that, I don't understand why Brandon Ingram is as low as he is, or maybe Zach Levine or some like these younger prospects, even like a Karis LeVert, who's gonna who might be the number two in Brooklyn without KD back this year. It's competing ideologies, but clearly with Gordon Hayward here at fifty nine, they're expecting him to have more of a jump back year. I completely agree with you when it comes to Clay Thompson. There's no way, there's no reason he should be fifty eight. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. We're having Clay Thompson at fifty eight. They group players who are in similar circumstances in their career, and I think that's where Tatum and Booker fall into an interesting category here at thirty four, thirty five. These two guys have flashed amazing potential. Booker had that 70-point game against the Celtics that he's hung his hat on for a few years. He's been on the worst organization in the sport, so you give him some leeway there. But he also hasn't pieced together much beyond that elite-level scoring he's showed. And then Tatum, he's been a great scorer with a balance of skills across the board that haven't fully pulled into one great consistent package. And he's only been in the league two years which is a big difference from Booker here. But these are two fringe, great young players who are trying to make the leap into the top 30, and I think that's a great positioning for both of them. Uh, we, we talked a lot about Tatum and his development with Nick today. The Team USA run I wrote about for Celtics blog last week, and I think it showed him starting to piece together things a little bit, which could be more important than him being this blowout scorer for the Celtics this year. Absolutely. Bobby, I... I have a quick question. Who would you rather have on your team right now? Marcus Smart or Steven Adams? Ooh, that is a good one. That is a great one, even. And I would go Smart, just because of the waning importance of the center position, the fact that a guy like Adams is going to have to get out and defend a Brook Lopez, and Smart's going to give you the three. Yeah, like those we, we have seen Marcus Smart win games with three-pointers before, as un- reliable as that shot is I think a lot of us have learned to live with the crazy threes he takes because they've actually benefited from them at times like in a macro sense smart isn't a great three-point shooter but when he gives you those big ones down the stretch of the game and guys have to cover him just how willing he is to take them I think that puts smart ahead of Adams in what his role is with the Celtics now the Celtics need a center of course maybe they make that deal today well, they absolutely would make that deal today just because of the need, I'd say. But just in a vacuum, I think I'd rather have Smart in today's NBA. Steven Adams is ranked 40th on this list. Marcus Smart's 82. And I get it. I, I, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of where I, I take exception where the ideology is a little bit off in terms of like what's valued more in the NBA. Um, I, do, I do agree with the point that you know, like with the bigs going down and stuff like that, it's but like that hurts Stephen Adams a little bit, but I just I think it it just really undersells kind of like what Marcus Smart brings when you have him like that low as compared to some of these other guys who are actually specialists. Yeah, and this comes down to that conversation that we have every year with the Defensive Player of the Year. Should a guy like Paul George, Marcus Smart, be in the running for that when the voting is absolutely geared toward a guy like Stephen Adams and Rudy Gobert? And their teams pan out that it is easier to organize an entire defensive system around a guy like Adams or Gobert. You, if you have a center to that degree of impact defensively, you're going to have a great defense. Where well, we've seen the Celtics have mediocre or poor defenses with Smart on the team. And that that probably still is a valid argument on the end of the people who think that you need this big presence from a center to 
you know, anchor a defense. And look at the Celtics themselves. I mean, would you rather have Smart tanker defense or Horford tanker defense? I don't think anyone's going to say smart in that conversation. No, not at all. And yeah, that's that's kind of the yin-yang that you give where I think bigs can provide, can provide more defensive ability um, or, or more defensive value because of their ability to completely block out the paint and just completely destroy all kind of uh, interior attempts. We even saw that with Miles Turner in the first series against the Celtics where even though Celtics swept, they had a lot, they had a rough time kind of scoring in the paint. And But I do think also it is an individual award and I think wings still provide more of that individual value because they can defend so many different situations. But So Kemba cracked the top 20. He's behind Irving, which is fun. He's behind Al Horford as well. So if you go by this list, the Celtics sent out 18 and 15 on this list to trade in for 20, which might bear out in the results this year. We'll see. How do you feel about Kemba ending up at number 20, just ahead of Chris Paul, Bradley Beal, but just behind Blake Griffin and Al Horford? Yeah, I think, I think, I think Kemba's ranking is just, just about right where I would have it. Um, I mean, you could argue, you know, like he was an all-NBA player, which, which is, you know, like the top 15 players in the NBA. But I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have too big of an too big of an issue. Like, like when you start thinking about him versus Al Horford versus him versus Blake Griffin, it's kind of hard to decipher because they all kind of bring these different values, and then that that's when it does become a subject subjective assessment of what you value more. So I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with this. They're all really good players when you start getting into this area. So it's hard to really, yeah. Think one or the other it, it makes sense because he's on the cusp of the best players in the league down here which is where he was as an all nba player and where he is just as a general player i'd say is he's on the cusp of reaching that level now that he's on a great team we'll see if he can reach that level and i think that's why it made so much more sense for him to make that leap this year because he can put himself in the category with a towns westbrook absolutely jimmy butler this year if he's able to lead the celtics to something great so for now 20 is just fine with him i did have a big problem with number one though as we leap up to the top Giannis, i love him i bet on greece and lost big to win the world cup through no fault of Giannis's. and <laughs> i don't know what this is because we have Harden going at him still about the NBA MVP voting. I think he deserved MVP. You know, it was a tough call, but I understand why he is a player who that system was built on and who, how that team that had no hope outside of him was able to leap in the NBA Finals discussions. I understand it. But over Kawhi Leonard, who I would absolutely say had a better whole season last year than Harden and Giannis, if we include the playoffs, and is still one of the best players on offense and one of the best players on defense in this league. I think the discussion starts and ends there. When you are on that caliber on both ends and you can lead a team in your first year there, the NBA Finals Championship, I don't know what other argument anyone else has on that. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely. To me, I don't... When 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 you start getting into like the top five, I, it gets really hard for me to really get too upset or take exception to too many things because again, especially when it comes to this point, we're talking about like the point zero 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 one percent of NBA talent on the floor. So 
Um, you could I look at Giannis and I I I personally have promised it because I see a, a 24 year old MVP um, just led his team to 60 wins at top of the East. They all the way to the, to the Eastern Conference Finals, where they did eventually lose to the Raptors. To but Kawhi. He's, yeah, but he's young, and if you're gonna do do the projection things, because remember, um, when he has Gordon Hayward there at 59, we have to assume that there is some kind of like forward progression of what they think can happen during during the next year. So if you look at a guy like Giannis, who's still not even really like you could say he's just entering his prime after performing like that. Um, it's possible that maybe he's expecting an even bigger jump in a bigger year from the Bucks and Giannis in particular. That's why he has him at one. But to your point, I also I think after you know after putting a team on the back, putting putting a team, including a new team, on his back and leading into an NBA Finals and beating Giannis and the Bucks <laughs> to get there without home court advantage, I do kind of side with you that maybe we should have given Kawhi some love here and put him as the number one since he is technically the top dog and the defending NBA champion. We sat on this program last summer and asked up and down, is Kawhi Leonard worth investing in because of his lack of games played the year before with the Spurs? And here we go again, SI. Can we really name a player or who doesn't play a quarter of his team's games, the best player in the NBA? Yeah, I think you can because he still manages to be one of the best players in the regular season from that perspective. And there's just such a bigger weight on the playoffs for me. We we judge these player comparisons largely through the regular season lens because a guy like Devin Booker can't get in the playoffs and maybe never will. You add something as a playoff player in this. And he has had sensational run after sensational run. And guess what? I think he's going to win the championship again next year. So this one to project into the future, I get it. Giannis is the future of the league. I love him. But... In the immediate future, it's still Kawhi's league, and I don't see that happening, changing anytime soon. I agree, but I, I think I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis can have something to say about that. Did you enjoy the result today, Spain and Argentina? I love it from my Spanish perspective. My Spanish friends around the world were loving it. I don't think we could have gone in more unlikely championship boat from our conversation last week. Did it help the tournament and what it was aiming to do with this result that we got? Spain winning it all, Argentina coming from nowhere to be the runner-up. The Spain and Australia game, kind of for me, it kind of put like a weird, weird taste in my mouth. There was some really kind of like questionable calls that went there at the end. You had you had Andrew Bokic kind of suggesting that, you know, FIBA was kind of giving Spain and the Spanish teams like an advantage at the end. So that 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 whole aspect was kind of weird, but I do like that there are different winners. I I do like that it was such a competitive competition. Even some of the teams that didn't even make make it to the knockout rounds, I really enjoyed watching. Like I really enjoyed Tunisia and some of the stuff they did. I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed watching Saleh, Medjury, like kind of run run pick and pops and stuff like that. So I I do think I do think this was good. I think for the most part, NBA fans did enjoy it basketball fans enjoyed it it was good for international fans to like you know for for once they get to actually wake up and watch games at like prime time and we have to watch games at 8 a.m so i i think i think fiba fiba did its job but it still has some ways to go because i still think for usa they're still kind of the last team that really has to we'll see how they start taking it because these stars don't start taking it seriously fiba then i don't know if it'll serve its purpose but if we start seeing more stars take take it and going with it, even if it's just young stars like Devin Booker, um, 
even someone like Tobias Harris, like those type of guys started start taking a little bit more seriously, then I say, then that's when I think it did its job. Jerry Colangelo came out hard against the dropouts, so Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal, those type of guys, and said that's all going to be taken into consideration for picking the 2020 team, and I think that's such BS. Are you kidding me? They're going to pass up on a guy like Davis, Bradley Beal. I'll believe it when I see it. But if they want to go ahead and lose in the 2020 Olympics because guys didn't want to play this summer, and we've already talked about all the challenges that were preventing guys from playing this summer, then go ahead. I don't know about Colangelo and those comments this week. Those those are frustrating to me, uh, especially when it seems like, as we said, guys that weren't going to be used as much or guys that weren't going to be picked who might have deserved it were or might have been told to just, you know, take the summer off. Maybe those weren't the guys who he's talking about, but it was just a weird system the way they picked it this year, the way the tournament fell. And I don't think guys should be called out because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want to set a, a good president and you want to show that this is an open kind of thing where if you want to play, you'll play. If not, if not. And you, and you rely on relationships. So if you start alienating the top guys in this game, it trickles down and it starts making people feel bad. And then there isn't a pride that comes with playing for your country anymore. So I definitely thought, um, regardless of what he might have meant or the surrounding context, you just can't put it that way at all. And you just have to respect guys' decisions and invite them back the next year. All right, we have Coach Nick on the line. That'll be in the next episode of our stream. Alex, good to talk to you. We will see you next Sunday, hopefully with some more ammunition on the Celtics front. Looking forward to it, Bobby.